So our Overcome series uh, is not coming to an end today. Christiana might want it to be. Uh, but Pastor Nathan and I actually thought we'd extend it out through the month of July. There's several other uh, vices and issues and barriers, giants that we all face. We thought we'd spend uh, one more month in this series. So hang with us. Uh, we've got some, some powerful things coming. Hope it'll be an encouragement to you. I am sad to admit, though, that one thing did come to an end this last week, my summer beard. If you saw the tea blast, I was trying to grow it out. Then I had a meeting last week, and Becca's like, you're not going to have the beard for the meeting, are you? So I had to shave the beard, but I'll start again tomorrow. Let's see if little, little adolescent Thomas can grow any sort of hair here, because he's, he's having some trouble doing it up here right now. But anyway, you didn't care to know any of that, sorry. Uh, this summer, we are in a series called Overcome. If you're, if you're new or visiting for the very first time, uh, in the series, we're using the story of David and Goliath as a springboard talk about the different giants and obstacles and problems that each of us faces in life, from uh, fear to shame uh, to pride to the giant that we started talking about last week, uh, the giant of addiction. See, addictions come in all shapes and sizes. And although we typically uh, associate that word with drugs or alcohol or even pornography, uh, the truth is we can all be addicted to just about anything, from the screen to the scale to social media. Whether it's that specialty cup of coffee that you go out of your way to get every morning or all of the likes and approval that we go out of our way to get with every post, each of us is probably addicted to something, right? Something that we believe we just have to have and we can't live without here in this world. But the scary truth is that many of the things we are addicted to are probably going to or already have ruined us, destroy us. And so we want to talk about that. Last week in the story of David and Goliath, we saw how addictions boiled down to being told and more so being convinced that we are not enough, that you are not strong enough or healthy enough or pretty enough or fun enough or wild enough or cool enough or relaxed enough. On your own, you are not enough, so you need extra. For David, it was the king's armor and shield and sword. For you, it might be the bottle or the bong, or the internet, or your investment accounts. But someone or something is trying to say that intrinsically what you bring to the table is not enough. You need extra. You need more. you got to try this, hit this, smoke this, drink this, inject this, obsess over this, watch this, sleep with this. you got to do something extra, David, Thomas. But you got to do something extra because you are not enough on your own. You will fail if you don't take this. You will fail if you don't have this. You will die if you don't participate in this. And like David, we have to stand up to those claims and say, no, 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 no. I, I can't carry those things. I don't need those things. Get them out of my face. Get them off of me. They're just going to weigh me down. They're actually going to get me killed. In Christ, I am enough. I have enough. See, the ability to say no to things, especially the things that we know are detrimental to our health or our relationships, our well-being, the ability to say no to that stuff was what the Bible calls self-control. I want to show you a little video that many of us have probably seen before, but it's one that speaks directly to this particular issue. So watch this. Okay, sit in that chair. 
All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one. So then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. Self-control, <laughs> uh, self-control. It's not something that comes easy or natural to any of us, is it? Uh, the ability to say no or not right now or not at all especially to things that we want or like or things that we have to have in this life, oh, it's so incredibly difficult. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, struggling with self-control doesn't really matter all that much when it comes to marshmallows. Uh, but it does matter a lot when it comes to substance abuse or porn or sex or gambling or food or the praise of others. See, eating the marshmallow in that test just means you don't get the second marshmallow. And I love the girl. She's like, that's all right. I want this thing right now. But eating the marshmallow, symbolically speaking, in real life, well, that can wreck your marriage, destroy your family, get you into incredible debt, ruin a reputation, 
The consequences of eating the marshmallow in a lot of different settings are much more detrimental. The consequences, in fact, are even worse than that, according to Philippians 3. Listen to this. I tell you now with tears, the Apostle Paul says, many live as enemies of the cross whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Such an interesting wording that Paul chose there. Their end is destruction. So it's not just detrimental to eat the marshmallow. It's actually going to destroy you. Why? Because your God is your belly. Paul's saying you can be destroyed when you consume anything and everything that you want, when your desires and your cravings and all, they just take over, and you just start to take in whatever it is that you want. Your belly. Get in my belly. That can destroy you when you don't exhibit or have any self-control. It was true back in Paul's day, and it's certainly true today. And so it is imperative, my friends, it's imperative, church, that we learn to say no like David. Uh, That we don't let certain drives or desires or our bellies dictate what we do. It's imperative that we learn how to have and show self-control. But how? How do you do that? How do you have self-control, especially as the one author says, uh, when we live in a world that's so out of control? And how do you have self-control when your mental state or your marriage or your finances or anything else are out of control? How do you have control and self-control when everything else seems to just be chaotic and crazy? That's the question I want to answer for a few minutes this morning. When it comes to having self-control, I think we probably need to start with the first word of the phrase, self. Let's look biblically at what this word means. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let's say that my family and I go out of town for a week, and I ask you to house it for us. Uh, This is not our house, but I've always dreamt of a wraparound front porch. Anybody else? So let's just pretend this is my house for a little bit, okay? So I say, we're going to go out of town for about 10 days or so. I need you to house it. I need you to watch the dog. Well, well, things change on our end, and so we get home a few days early. And wouldn't you know it, you are throwing a huge party. Man, you invited everybody you knew. You threw an open invite on Facebook, even on Craigslist. I mean, everybody has just shown up to our house. It is ruined. Our stuff is wrecked. And I look, and my dog's hair is shaved in a way it looks like this. So I push my way through the drunken, crazed crowd, and I find you, and I grab you by the neck, I mean the arm, and and we start having a little conversation. What in the world is happening here, I ask you? And you smile and say, well, what's the problem? I'm the house sitter. I can do whatever I want with the house. After giving you a look that would be the very definition of dumbfounded, I would say to you, are you smack out of your mind? What gives you the right to do that with my house? You don't get to decide what you do in this place because it's not yours. It's mine. I bought it. I paid for it. My name is on the paperwork. You're just watching it temporarily. And then I would give you a whooping in Jesus' name, and then we would go our separate ways. But I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here in Corinthians. See, the people in that church were living in extreme sexual immorality. 
They were sleeping around. They were sexting. They were watching porn all the time. And in response to all of that, Paul says, you, you can't do all of that with your own body because it's actually not your own body anymore. You are not your own. This body of yours, this entire life, in fact, it's no longer yours. God paid a very high price, the highest price, in fact, to purchase you, to adopt you, to ransom you. That price is the sacrificial death of his only son. And when he paid that price, he bought you. His name is now on the house. It is, it is all his. You're just watching over it for a few minutes. You do not have the right to do with it what you just want to do with it, whatever feels good to you. He owns it. You don't. This is his, not mine. One of the great lies behind addiction, really any temptation for that matter, is that you can do whatever feels good to you, right? If it feels good, just do it, the mantra goes. Well, first of all, not everything that feels good is good. Just ask Eve about that little problem. But here's the thing. If you are in Christ, there is no more you. There is no more you. You died to your self. See, Thomas doesn't get to call the shots in Thomas's life anymore. My belly or my desires or my cravings aren't the driving force anymore. God is. And everything I do in this life now needs to be lived in the light of that fact. This is all God's. And one day, he's going to come back for it. One day, he's going to ask for it. He's going to say, what would you do with it? How well did you take care of my body, <laughs> not yours? And that's why Jesus at times says, you want to become a Christian? Well, you better count the cost. You sure you want this? Because you're going to die to yourself. I'm going to ask you to deny yourself again and again and again and again until you're sick and tired of it. You sure you want this? Because the world lives for their belly. I don't, Jesus said. So when we say yes to Jesus, we are saying no to ourselves. We talked about this years ago in our desire series, but, but every single person in this world is full of compulsions and impulses, cravings, lusts, all these desires, right? And more often than not, we are controlled by these desires. These, these, these drives and cravings and lusts, they kind of dictate and determine what we do and, and when we do it. And normally, we just kind of go along with them. Right? We, just, we just let them do whatever it is that they want to do. Even if you know it's bad, even if you know it's wrong, even if you know it's detrimental, you just kind of you just go along with it. And here's why. Because all you have in that moment is your willpower. All you have is your own resolve or your own determination to stay away from harmful things or, or hurtful things or uh, addictive things. But nearly all of us can attest to the fact, if we're honest with each other, that our uh, resolve isn't as strong as we would like it to be. Oh, look, there's a line right here. I'm probably just going to stay on this side of the line. Oh, no, what am I doing? No, why am I on this side of the line? That's how the resolve works typically, isn't it? My self-control, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of control over it. But something changes when you become a Christian. When you follow Jesus, you have a new ability, a new power to say no to anything that's going to kind of force you or, or coerce you to step over the line. It's no longer about your willpower anymore. It's about his power. That's what I want to talk about this morning. I've been crafting a definition of self-control over the last few weeks. I want to share it with you now. To me, here it is, biblical self-control defined in this way. 
the grace-based, truth-infused, Holy Spirit-enabled effort that Christians exert to say no to the things of this world that will inevitably and eventually destroy them. <laughs> I was a comm major in college. Thank you. Thank you so much. If pastoring doesn't work out, I might go work for Webster's. Come on, don't tell me you don't love that definition. It's wordy, I know. There's a lot to it, right? But every word is so power-packed. Every word is so important. It's a grace-based, truth-infused, holy in a spirit-enabled effort that Christians exert to say no to the things of this world that will inevitably and eventually destroy them. Let's walk through each part of the definition. Self-control is grace-based. All right, so we more or less say no to certain things in this world because we're so overwhelmed by the fact that God said yes to us. You with me? We say no to certain things because God graciously said yes to giving us life, yes to our forgiveness, yes to Jesus taking our place, yes to eternity. So we say no because we're so overwhelmed by God's yes. Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. In view of, isn't that interesting? I love the kid in the video who wouldn't even look at the marshmallow. Like, I'm not, no. I know you're there. I'm going to touch you and I'm going to hold you, but I'm not even going to look at you because what is in your view is what matters so much, right? It's in view of your Florida vacation that you put up with long hours at the office. It's in view of dessert that you eat your broccoli, right? It's in view of one thing that you end up having the power to do something else. That's true here with self-control. It's in view of God's mercy. It's in view of God's grace that we're able to offer our bodies in a holy and pleasing way back to God. That's how you stay on this side of the line and not cross over it. you got to keep in view God's mercy, God's love for you, God's graciousness to you. That's how you remain free and not become enslaved to things. It's when you lose your view, when you lose your view of God's mercy, that the other stuff starts looking so enticing, starts looking so good. you got to keep in view God's mercy. See, God gave up and sacrificed everything for me. How could I possibly return the favor by messing around with this thing or, or, or dealing with this thing? The fact that God laid down his life so I could have life should drastically affect the way I live this life. Don't you agree? The fact that God laid down his life so I could have life should drastically impact and affect the way that I live my life. So self-control, it's rooted in view of God's mercy. If you're having trouble saying no to things, it's because you don't have the right thing in view. In view of God's mercy, we're able to live holy and pleasing lives. All right, self-control is also truth-infused. John 8, 31 if you hold to my teachings, Jesus said, you're really my disciples. Hold to them. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, in addition to keeping our eyes fixed on God's grace, God's mercy, we also have to keep our minds fixed on God's word, on God's truths. See, my fear is that when we typically read this book, even a passage like John 8, 31, you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. My fear is that we typically read it like we do an Apple service agreement. Anybody see this pop up recently, right? You need to update your software or whatever. They make you agree to all these different terms and conditions. How many of you, come on now, have actually read every single word of that contract? Yeah, yeah, I didn't think so. What do we do? Scroll, 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 scroll. All buttons highlighted. Agree. 
You just said you agree and accept all the terms and conditions. You got no idea what the, what the terms and conditions actually are. You didn't read them. Now, it's, it's okay when it comes to Apple. I guess you kind of just trust them, sure, whatever. But that's not okay when it comes to God's word. You can't just scroll through it real fast. Say, yeah, 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 I agree. I agree. I agree. Good. Accept. Thanks, God. That's not how it works. Jesus said, you got to cling to these words. you got to hold fast to these words because this is how you will exhibit self-control. Self-control is rooted in truth. We don't have time this morning to look at all of the details of the story, but I encourage you this week, Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. You could argue that each temptation is rooted in Jesus' ability or lack thereof, the enemy was hoping, for, for him to exhibit self-control, right? Meet your own needs. Make some bread. Uh, do something miraculous. Jump off the temple. Uh, settle. Do something faster and quicker and easier than, than you normally would have to do it, right? And it's, it's Jesus' ability to say no to those things. It's Jesus' ability to exhibit self-control in each of those moments, even though he's so hungry, even though he'd love to do something miraculous, even though I'm sure he would want to settle in that moment. It's been 40 days in the desert, but what does he do in each of those moments? He says no, but he doesn't say no. What's the phrase he uses? For God said, for God said, for God said. He was able to exhibit self-control in every one of those moments because he clung to and held fast to his father's words. He didn't just scroll through it, yeah, 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 uh, except. He knew that these words brought life. And so for you, I just hope that that phrase over the next couple of days and weeks will become a part of your regular vocabulary. For God said, for God said, for God said. Cling to a promise. Cling to a, a, a scriptural truth of some sort. Cling to something about the future, something about the present. God is with me. The holy ones will see God face to face. Blessed are those who are righteous. Just do something. Cling to what he said. And chances are you'll be able to exhibit self-control in an even greater way. You could also look at the armor of God this week in Galatians 5. There's one offensive weapon in the entire list. What is it? It's the sword of the Spirit, which it says is the word of God. You're being attacked. You're being attacked. Uh, temptations, vices, all kinds of addictive possibilities are coming into your life. There's one thing that you use to knock it off. Literally, it's the word. You got to start swinging this thing. Some of you don't even know where your sword's at. Some of you haven't swung the sword in a very long time. No wonder addictions are a part of your life because this is how you combat those things. And speaking of the Spirit, that's our next part of the definition. Self-control is the Holy Spirit enabled. That's an important part of this. Galatians 5.16 says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, so many of us are trying to live a good, clean, pure, God-honoring life. Maybe some of us have just given up on that. We're not even trying anymore to do that. But we primarily do that through willpower and not God's power. And when it comes to addictions, I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, I just couldn't stop myself. I, I just couldn't help myself. And I know that feeling. I've been there too. But that's just a lie. It's not that you couldn't stop yourself. It's that you were trying to do it by yourself. It's not that you couldn't stop yourself. It's that you were trying to do it by yourself. You didn't call out to or take advantage of the power that is available to you in the Spirit. Romans 8.12 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. It's not to the flesh to live according to it. No, we live according, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you will put to death the misdeeds 
of the body, and you will live if you live by the Spirit, Paul says. So it's by the Spirit that we're able to put to death the things of the flesh, all those cravings and desires and addictive tendencies. It's by the Spirit that we're able to stay on this side of the line and not cross over to the other side. It's by the Spirit. As I was studying this past week, I was thinking, man, I'm not even sure I understand fully what it means to live by the Spirit. What do you mean? How do you do that? What exactly does that look like? So this could be an entire sermon series in itself, but let me go through four steps that have helped me over the years live by the Spirit. I hope they help you as well. Four steps that I think will enable you to live out Romans 8, Galatians 5. Here they go. Step one, confess that which is not of the Spirit. You can't be filled with something until you empty yourself out of everything else. You can't be filled with God's Spirit until you empty out and confess all the stuff that's not of the Lord in your life, of the flesh. There's no shame in being honest. There's no shame in being open. There's no shame in being transparent. There is nothing you could tell me that would make me think any less of you. There's nothing you could tell me that would make God love you any less. Nothing. No vice, no sin, no tendencies, no addictions. You just got to be honest about those things. Confess that which is not of the Spirit. Second step, cry out for the Spirit. See, Jesus constantly used the word ask when he was talking about or referring to the Spirit. So when you struggle with addictions or things that are taking you down, cry out for the Spirit. Ask God to help you. Ask the Spirit to heal you. Ask the Spirit to come and empower you to do what you can't do on your own. All of the testimonies last week in our addiction video, we had four or five people share their own stories of struggling with addictions. Go back and watch it if you haven't already. But in each of those stories, did you see a common thread in there? They each had to hit rock bottom and beg for God to bring them out. They each had to ask, and it had to be a real honest, a real raw ask. I think that probably the same would be true for you. Cry out for the Spirit. Number three, concentrate on the things of the Spirit. It's important that we understand uh, a vast majority of the attacks that we are facing, the battles that we are in right now, the addictions that we are enslaved to, they all begin and end right here. I had a mentor recently tell me, you know, the enemy cannot take over your body. The enemy cannot force you to do things physically, but the enemy can sure do a lot of mess up here, can he not? The enemy can come in and have a heyday with your mind. So it is so important that we think about all of the things that we are thinking about. You have to concentrate on the things of the Spirit. And so for me, when I'm tempted with another thing or the same thing again and again and again, I just try to picture something in my head, Jesus on the cross or, or me and Jesus embracing at the gates or whatever it might be, I'm trying to concentrate on the things of the Spirit. I think the same is true for you. And then lastly, cooperate with the Spirit. If you are a believer, if you have said in the course of your life, Jesus Christ is Lord, you have been given the Holy Spirit. You might not believe it, you might not have acted on it yet until this point, but that is a truth, that is a reality for you. But most of us are not actively cooperating with him. See, he is active in our life, but we're not actively cooperating with him. We aren't doing the things he's asking us to do or following through on the commands and the promptings that he's giving us. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, but you wouldn't call it Holy Spirit prompting, but that's exactly what it is. But I should call my sister. They haven't talked to my sister in months. Why would I think of my sister all of a sudden? Holy Spirit. And I should help that guy out over at work. I think the guy in you know, two cubicles down, I think he's really struggling. I heard him talking about his marriage falling apart. Or, I should just go talk to him. Why, why would I be prompted to do that? Holy Spirit. Man, I should give $150,000 to West Bowles Church because they're really in the hole right now. And... <laughs> Holy Spirit. 
right? But those promptings, those random, what we would consider, you know, shooting star thoughts, they're not random. They're not shooting stars. It's called the Holy Spirit trying to talk to you. Hey, go help that person out. Hey, call your sister. Walk across the room and talk to somebody. Give a little bit extra. The Holy Spirit is prompting all of us. The question is, are we cooperating with him? So confess, cry out, concentrate, and cooperate. That's why I included in my definition of self-control the word effort. We have to understand how this works. You don't just drift into holiness. You don't just accidentally become more godly. Now, the opposite is true. You drift into sin. You accidentally kind of fall into all kinds of problems and vices. But to be like Christ, you have to exert effort. You're either working towards godliness or you're falling away from it. There's just no in-between. There's a reason that Christ and Paul and other New Testament writers used words like battle, radical, extreme, wage war when talking about the fight that we are in against the flesh, against those desires. This is no joke. Addictions are no game. You have to exert a ton of effort. Pastor Matt Chandler said it this way, you are either actively killing sin in your life or it's going to be active in killing you. We tend to toy around with the flesh, don't we? We tend to toy around with addictive things. It's, just, it's not really a problem. It's kind of cute. It's like, oh my gosh, it's about to eat me. That was really funny this week when I was thinking about it. But it's this little tiny thing and we love it and we're like petting it and then suddenly it's just like, boom. There's a video I wish I would have shown you. Uh, Cassia, they were uh, hanging out at a friend's house and one of the little boys who lived at the house had this T-Rex head. And so she just put the big dinosaur T-Rex head on her, and, you know, it was, it was open mouth, and she just went around doing this to everything. Like, ah, ate everything. That's how I feel it is with a lot of our addictions. We think it's a little game. No, it's actually destroying and consuming everything. You can't play around with it. You can't toy around with these things. You have to exert effort. And hopefully through the power of the Spirit, through these four suggestions, you'll be able to. Uh, let me conclude this morning real fast with an analogy that has helped me over the years. Um, the fact of the matter is that sin and Satan, uh, temptation, uh, addictive offers, they're going to come at you from every which direction and every which way. Even after you become a Christian, those things are still going to be part of the equation. Here's how it was said to me one time. They're still going to come calling. All those offers and, and vices and, and, and addictive moments are all going to come calling. But as a Christian, as someone who has the power of the Spirit, you don't have to answer the call anymore. I would bank on the fact that all of you know exactly how to screen your cell phone calls. Do you not? Right? Something pops up. It rings. We see the caller ID. We don't recognize the number. It's something out of state. Or it's just somebody we don't want to talk to right now. And what do we do with great ease? Decline. Right? Silence. See ya. We just reject the call. We're so good. When someone calls that we don't want to talk to, we just decline it. We just don't answer the call. That's exactly what you have to do when it comes to sin. It's exactly what you have to do when it comes to addictions. It's going to come calling. Don't answer the call. Through the power of the Spirit, you can decline the call. Because of God's Spirit, you can now do that when Satan gives you a call. All of us are going to be tempted. We're going to be enticed. But screen the call in the power of the Spirit. 
Screen that call. When those things come calling, just say no. Just say no to them. So recognize this morning, church, as we come to an end of our time, you have died to yourself. What you want, what feels good to you, what you think you need, that really doesn't matter anymore. When you said yes to Jesus, when you clothed yourself in him in the waters of baptism, you said, no more me. No more what I want. It's what Jesus wants now. That was a bold proclamation and a hard one to live out. But God has given you the power to live it out because he's given you the power of his Holy Spirit. You have the power in you now so you can exhibit self-control. Truth or grace-based, truth-infused, spirit-enabled effort to say no to the things of this world that are trying to bring you down. You have that power in you this week. I hope that you will exhibit it. I'm going to ask the band real fast to show uh, just to come back up. If you wouldn't mind, could you just play Resurrection Power for us as we're walking out? I would love for that little mantra to be what we live with, what we kind of remember as we walk out. So let me pray for us. You'll be excused after that. Our time is over, but as the band continues that song, just be singing these words uh, throughout the course of the week. You have the Spirit of Christ in you, resurrection power, the power to overcome. Amen? Let's pray that together. God, thank you for who you are. And a call to be like Jesus is an incredibly difficult call. It requires so much sacrifice on our part and so much humility, so much surrender, God. And many of us are struggling to live in that way. We still live for self. We still live for our belly. We still live for the desires that are, that are deep within us. And we don't want that anymore. We want to live for you, God. We want to recognize that this house is your house. And we don't get to do with it whatever we want. We have to do with it what you want, God. And what you want is to live holy and selfless and sacrificial. And so help us to do that, God. You don't just ask us to make that decision, you empower us to make that decision on a daily basis. You've given us your Holy Spirit. It is by the Spirit, as we walk in the Spirit, that we're able to say no to the flesh. We're able to say no to addictions, no to vices, no to temptations. So help us to stop fighting these things with our own willpower and help us to stop, uh, start fighting them in your power, with your power, God. Even today, many of us will be tempted to do something that we just think we have to do, that we can't live without. I've got to smoke this or drink this or, or call this person or do whatever number of things I have to do. No, you don't. Don't answer the call. Decline. Decline the call in the power of the Spirit. God, help us each to do that so we may be a testimony to this world of what real, true, abundant life, free life looks like. In Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.